0: I just feel like this field comes down to connection because when someone's in that space as much as you say hey calm down hey let's get from a 10 to a nine they're absolutely not hearing you and so saying something and this works with anyone this is really scary or this is really stressful or you look stressed and just kind of going back to identifying their feelings
1: Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost Thirty podcast. Here we go. Hello, hey guys! <laughs> Almost Thirty podcast checking in with you. I hope you saw our new branding, our new website, our new iTunes cover art, our tour dates, our ambassador program. Feel we've like been... a new woman, <laughs> new woman. We <We've>, we just <laughs> give birth. We've been busting our asses, us and the entire team. Chloe, Kayla, Tiffany, Shara have been working our asses off for the past couple months and it feels so good to share everything we've been doing with the world. Truly. Uh, so as Krista said, we have our new iTunes cover
2: art, peep it, share it. Um, and we're just putting out in a new, more mature, evolved, but still fun and us vibe.
1: And it feels really good. Yeah, I hope you like it. Ambassador Program is a way for women of the Almost 30 Nation community to create community where they are. So we were so inspired being on tour last year. We wanted to make sure that every city had access to creating such magical events where they were. So we wanted to empower the women of Almost 30 with our ambassador program to have these awesome meetups, these book clubs, these volunteer events, these yoga events, whatever it is in their cities, even if it was in Minnesota, if it was in Rhode Island, we have one in Costa Rica. They are everywhere. So make sure to check out almost30podcast.com to see if there is a ambassador group in your city. And if not, email community at almost30podcast.com about starting a group where you are. And we have our tour dates live now on the
2: site, almost30podcast.com. And we're really excited to be visiting 13 cities all over the world this year. So in addition to our domestic stops, we are visiting London and Australia. So if you are there, let us know we are coming. We always love when our listeners reach out and they help us. We just... It's vibey. It's so fun and it works so well. So we'd love to connect with you and work with you on these events.
1: Yeah. It means so much. Yeah. I was just looking at something on Twitter about someone having dreams lately. And I feel like in the group, so we have a secret Facebook group where people of almost 30 connect. There's like 10,000 of you guys. And so many people have been talking about dreams lately. How many dreams people have been having? I've been having some wacky dreams. Wacky. For the past months, I've been having insane dreams every night.
2: I think it's ever since coming back from Costa Rica
1: too. And then also traveling gets me all weird. Is, and it's weird because I've been looking it up. Dreams are when you're in the deepest state of sleep. But for some reason, it never feels restful to me. Yeah. So it's confusing. Because like that's what happens in your theta dream. You dream in your theta, theta wave state. But And that's your deepest state of sleep. But it's weird because I assume whenever I'm dreaming that I haven't slept well because I never feel rested.
2: It's because, yeah, I feel like my mind's going so fast and I'm having to kind of like navigate or figure out how to get out of the dream or navigate through the dream. And I wake up exhausted. Exhausted. What What have you been dreaming about?
1: Mine was the pregnant snake the other day. Oh, yeah. There was a pregnant snake in a tree and it had a... Child in its belly, mm. which is interesting. like it ate it, or actually that's exactly. I think birth. it ate it, and I think we were scared of it. Mm. Most of my dreams are obviously scary. Most of them involve houses. I'm usually in a house that's like very complex, lots of rooms, mm. and it's haunted. There was one I was in; it was like a Victorian-style house, and I was like trying to buy it. I write down my dreams now. So that's like a practice that I have wanted to do. And now in the morning, you know, except when we've been on the road, I will write down my gratitude, my goals of the day, and then my dreams just Mm -hmm. to get them out so Mm -hmm. that I have a place to kind of look at any patterns or reoccurring themes. A lot of times it's people that I've been watching. If I'm watching YouTube... Uh, So, you know, just taking into consideration the fact that like that stuff is imprinting on my subconscious when I'm going into that relaxed state of watching trash, it's like it actually is sticking there. So kind of being conscious Mm -hmm. about that so that I can kind of clean it up sometimes because the more thoughtful I am about my sleep or my process to go to bed. If I'm meditating, if I'm not watching TV, if I'm just reading or relaxing or really being mindful, I'm not really having crazy dreams. Mm-hmm. And because Justin likes to watch TV before bed, like is obsessed with it, I kind of, you know, go to bed after watching like yeah, workaholics. Yeah, totally. You know?
2: Totally. Yeah, I don't even, I, I actually don't remember my dreams that often. I just like know the feeling when I'm in them. And then like during the night, I'll kind of wake up half awake and be like, "Oh god, I don't want to go back in there," or it's just feeling weird. But I obviously I have to because I have to go back to bed, but yeah, it's just been a little bit more vivid lately. So I've been I've been trying to like ask before I go to bed. Like, "Show me this," or like, "Can you make it more clear as to why I'm dreaming about this?" Yeah, that's or a "What's a good one? What's the message?" And then I'll just like ask my little homies to kind of protect me because I do do, at home I sleep like a fucking baby but on the road it's really hard. Yeah. It's really really hard.
1: When the beds you sleep in are trash. Yeah. We've had some trash beds.
2: Yeah. That's okay.
1: I know it's okay. (laughs) It
2: makes me feel so grateful for my bed at home. (laughs) And just for like the routine like and i'll talk about this more when we talk about our trip to costa rica but like i had this like vision where i saw myself doing my whole routine like in the morning and then before bed and i, I was like that. fucking bawling just thinking just seeing that like it, because it's it is we anyone who does that like i need you to take a moment and just realize how beautiful that is
1: <laughs> that's your ceremony that's that is your ritual
2: your ritual it's so i was like crying for myself because it was so beautiful but i i kind of take it for granted and i just do it because i think i should do it but it really is changing me for the better and really setting me up to to be more myself to show up as you know the best version of myself to be creative to be more loving and compassionate it's
1: like I don't even know. Yeah, that's just like honoring yourself and who you are. Kayla from our team who travels with us on tour does a really great job of creating ritual where she is. It's the wildest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) so dedicated. It makes me (laughs) so happy. Like she'll go to like a Chipotle and grab like lemons. Can I have lemons to go? Yeah. So she can have... (laughs) So she brings a little... It was so cool and cute. She brings a little essential oil diffuser. So it's a mini one that she brings on tour. So in each of the rooms... Everything's mini. Everything's mini. Where we have... She's diffusing essential oils. She always makes sure to get lemons from restaurants we go to the night before. So she can have hot lemon water in the morning. She has green juice from Organifi in the morning. And then she has all of her droplets, her essential oil tablets. She puts out her vitamins the night before. She has teas for digesting at night. And she just basically... Oh, she puts crystals all over the apartment. Mm-hmm. She has poopery already set by the toilets. Like she just really does a really great job of making sure her routines stay when she's traveling with us on tour, which yeah. I could be way... I like a free-for-all sometimes. Mm-hmm. Actually, most times because it feels, I don't know. Just, well, we just have to be more
2: flexible. So if I'm, because yes. I can imagine that, like, I mean, she she's an inspiration to us when we're mm-hmm. on the road. So that's that. But then also, like, if we if we can't do something, sometimes I'll get stressed. Like. Oh, I can't take my walk in the morning. What's going to happen? Am I going to feel different? Will I not be able to poop? Like all this stuff. So I think we've just learned and maybe she'll do that too. But I hope she keeps most of it because I really
1: like participating. Same. I do too. I like the reminder of it too. Yeah, it's a good reminder. She'll have her little socks out like next to her leggings.
2: Yeah, but we just have to be flexible because shit changes every day and you know all of that. But we can still keep our meditation or breath work. What I've been doing is like, I'll put my... I have like a morning playlist and I just put in my earbuds and I stretch and dance to it for like five minutes. Love that. Because sometimes I can't, I don't like sitting still when I first get up. I like moving, but Mm. um, yeah, she's, she's, She's an inspo,
1: so honestly, if you guys want to get a mini diffuser, highly recommend that. (laughs) Putting out your vitamins, I think that's super smart as a reminder. The lemon water really helps with your digestion, and then her green juice powder, she just drinks in the morning, which Mm. I think is genius. Uh, For me, I just really make sure to do my meditation, and I've been obsessed with nine sixty three hertz. So I've talked about four thirty two hertz before. That is the frequency of love. Um, That is the vibration of nature of planet earth, but 963 is the vibration of higher beings. So it's of ascended angels and archangels and that one will fuck you up. So that one's my favorite right now. That really puts me in a state, makes me feel some type of way. You can just go to YouTube. They're free. Uh, Find one that you like, find one that interests you. And I really enjoy that for my meditation practice. I can't listen to it otherwise, just because it's too trancey uh 432 and you know other hertzs or other sounds i can listen to just throughout the day to calm down but mm-hmm. that one will really fuck you up. So that one i've been really enjoying to kind of ground me with my morning meditation. I love that. Yeah. It's a good one. 930 963 is like
2: 963
1: hot fire flames.
2: Uh, amazing. Yeah, we've been learning on the road also how to be adults. Just uh <laughs> just learned <laughs> just being humbled everywhere we turn. We were On our way to Austin, we I texted Chris. Our flight was at
1: 1 and I was like, let's leave at 12. I don't know why. And I was like, oh, I'll pick
2: you up around 11. And then I said 12. (laughs) You said 12. And I was like, I'll do 11.50 to be safe. So I agreed. Like we were both and we both said yes. And so I picked her up um, and then... But you picked me up at
1: 11.30. I picked you up at... Which was good. Yeah, yeah, And so we got to the airport at 12.05 and then walked in, checked, like brought up to check in and we're there at 12.07 to check our bags and missed the bag check by two minutes. Did you guys know that? There is a mandatory 45 minutes before your domestic flight bag drop
2: off. We were, what, American Airlines? Yes. And, boo. And, We were two minutes minutes. late. So we were were spending so much time being like, well, if the driver would have gone faster Mm -hmm. or if Mm -hmm. you would have gotten in the car sooner or if I would have left earlier, it's like,
1: ah. And we were just like, what do we do? Because she's like, oh, you're gonna have to get on the next flight. And we were like, huh? We didn't know if it was a charge. We had to wait in line. So we're watching our flight basically take off with our fucking bags. Yeah. Yeah. They they took off with the standby, the
2: next flight at 4.05. We didn't get on the 4.05 flight because Mm -hmm. we didn't make the standby, like get on from standby. So we were in the airport for about six hours. We finally left at six something, got in late, but it was just a big fat lesson. And it's honestly, thank you universe. It's a blessing. It happened on our first stop of the tour. So we didn't do it like when we were going to London. (laughs) That would suck. (laughs) Um. And we, you know, we had people help us along the way and and switch our flights and whatnot. But oh, it, but it was actually It wasn't really helping. We paid them. <laughs> oh, we but we didn't yeah. have to pay the full change fee. We yeah, but it could have been like hundreds. Mm. But he was explaining anyway. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, we still had to pay the change fee. Um, but we were like waiting in the airport, and my cousin was coming so in weird. to visit LA. Um here, like meeting his friends and I never see him. He has like three kids, like doing the dad thing and, uh, and you know, family thing, which is amazing. And he was coming in on a JetBlue flight and I was like, I feel like he's going to come through this terminal, like whatever. So we sat down and I was like, I think he's going to come through that door. Cause I, I couldn't, we were talking, but like, he's like, I'm on JetBlue, but like, I have no idea where I am. And he did. And I was like, Oh my God.
1: I was so happy. So we missed our flight mm-hmm. so that you could see your cousin. Yeah. So the way when he got through his gate, it was the gate we were basically sitting at. So Lindsay got to see her family.
2: Yeah, it was so nice. I love So that was the reason. Sammy it was so
1: adorable. And then we saw the Miz. We saw the Miz Yo. with his wife. The Miz. I know you guys are all WWE fans. <laughs> As am I. And we saw the Miz and his wife. He was like shiny and fresh. Same with his wife. Yeah. Shiny, shiny, shine.
2: Yeah, they were so cute. Uh, just hanging out, having a, a meal. Having some fries. And then they got on our flight. She yes, was in first class. Meal. He was back with us. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I enjoyed that too. I didn't know if he was with a... Was he with a kid? He was like talking to a kid, oh. which was cute. I'm yeah. sure he, the kid was a fan. Oh, for sure. It was so cute. Um But yeah, you guys smell what the Miz is cooking? Is that what he says? No, The Rock. That's The Rock. All right. Oh
1: my God. (laughs) I'm actually going to say that for every
2: WWE wrestler.
1: Yo. Hey, do you smell what China's cooking? Yo. (laughs) I actually dated a guy for a long time that was kind of into that when we first started dating. And it was a very weird off thing. Sorry, what? I know. I very much enjoy that Justin doesn't do anything that I think is kind of lame. Not one thing. He does. He knows everything that I... He thinks everything I think is lame. And that was kind of an interesting time period for me to be like, okay, is this happening? Mm. That I'm... Dude, my sister took her ex to like a WWE thing. It's wild. Like how much money those, Yo, those industries it's a, it's a, It's a thing. I mean, hey everybody, maybe I'm missing out. Hey everybody, it's fake. Yeah. Maybe I'm missing out. But we go to see... I go to see theater. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Who knows? Remember, it's like The Undertaker, China the rock or who's john 316 john cena. john cena yeah now he's like an actor
2: good for him yeah good for him and he's the in rock love. and the rock is like yo the rock crushes beyond yeah he's like my it's overwhelming he's one of my expanders and also one of the coolest humans from what we know like from amy joe martin and just like oh yeah
1: like in the industry in the industry yeah um, Amy Joe Martin only
2: <laughs> I know <laughs> Literally. but I've heard I've heard like just yeah. mainstream media that he's like just the best good human but yeah just learning how to be an adult I got a ticket the other day which reminded me and oh, I yeah. got the message to remind all of you to make sure that your registration stickers are up to date on your car and that was savage I was leaving Krista's house and I I rolled through a stop sign at a dead uh, roundabout whatever broke the law And there was a a police officer on his bike, on his uh, motorcycle right there. And I literally like, I rolled through and I saw him. I put my Uh, hand up and I was like, I know, I'm I'm pulling over. And he hopped off his bike and I just smelled the asshole Mm -hmm. walking up to my car. Like I just, and you know what? Like I get it. Like I, I did something wrong. I just... I know that the way he was acting was completely attributed to what fucking mood he was in that day, and so like he was such a fucking asshole. Uh, long story short, like he asked for all the regular stuff, <laughs> and I'm just like I'm literally a child when it comes to shit for my car. I I don't like having a car, therefore I. I am allergic to doing <laughs> the normal things you should do for a car like updating all the stuff. Everything was paid for, my registration's up to date technically in the system, all the things, but I didn't have it in front of me, which is bad. And so um and I also don't have a front plate cuz I got in an accident almost a year ago and no one in LA has a front plate cause it's ugly on car on certain cars. People don't like to do it. And everyone hits you. Everyone hits you. So I don't have a front plate. And he's like, we're after like, I didn't have my re- updated registration, which he ripped me a new one for. He go, he walks to the front of my car slowly. He's like, where's your front plate? And I was like, Oh, I, where's I, yours on your bike? Literally. I got in an accident, um, blah, blah, blah. And, I ordered them, but I haven't gotten them. I literally was lying out Uh, my ass because I was just like, I was so like, I was like nervous for no reason. I'm like, because you're an asshole, I'm nervous. And so I started lying and he goes, Lindsay, Lindsay, stop lying. And I was like, I look at him, I'm like, okay. Uh. I said, I said, hey, I don't, I don't know. And like, I don't know how to, I don't know. And therefore, I reverted to being a teenager and I just fibbed to you because I just didn't know I'm embarrassed. He's like, just tell the truth. He's like, that's so stupid to lie to a police officer. And I was like, all right, man. Like, I'm pretty sure I didn't murder anyone today. ain't yeah, my dad. Like, it was so, I was just like, I, I, I literally was so calm. I yeah, was like, dad. I was fucking calm as shit. And I was like, Okay. Like, I really, I, and then I had to like cry and shake it out after I left him because I was just like, this is so stupid that he, his energy was so
1: strong and dickish. My thing is, it's like, please, sir, pull down a block and look up the people shooting. I know. Up around the corner. Honestly.
2: Anyway so just make sure everything's up to date in your cars like just save What's yourself the point of the this headache podcast. thanks
1: for joining guys <laughs> we'll it's a good reminder to be honest you is. know because I going to pay my ticket I have a ticket I forget what I got it for, this but one's but I gonna be a, a,
2: do's a do's
1: a do's whatever uh, I think you'd be surprised the one I got recently wasn't that bad but yeah I don't care that's not <laughs> that's yes we got our ass handed to us with this but not really no, it was just like Life. it was just like
2: reminders. I'm like, oh right, mm-hmm. oh right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Got it, got yeah. it. Noted. Um, so yeah. We're officially adults.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to 30.
2: But we're still kids when it comes to snacking on tour. We love yes. what we love. We
1: love what we love. And dude, Kayla had a really great thing too. She's been putting skinny dipped in the freezer. Oh, I do that. Yeah. I yeah. know. Um, Come I'm on, girl. Get on a little get on board. special. I just can't wait until like it doesn't have to freeze it's yeah. just like it just it, gets cold. it just gets more
2: crunchy yo, the
1: chocolate mint ones
2: yeah they're new they're new yeah, it's Those a dark chocolate so mint good. it's so good it's a new beautiful purple packaging. It should be illegal
1: check them out but and, you you haven't tried the peanut butter yet I know That's I still actually my number one let me tell you a secret, guys. me and portions we don't really know each other well, so once i if I start with the peanut butter it's gonna be it's gonna freak everyone out, so I'm kind of holding off, yeah. I feel that. That's okay. But the peanut butter I heard is number one. The mint chocolate chip or the mint chocolate is amazing. I, I just like every flavor. Like mm-hmm. I'm not usually a dark chocolate raspberry person. I'm into it. It's delicious. And it's just a small coating of chocolate. It the almonds have fiber. It keeps me full. It's sweet, So it's like a nice little sweet, salty snack, which is my jam. Mm-hmm. We love Skinny Dipped almonds so much. So we've had them on tour with us basically everywhere we would go, on flights, at the airport, before events, after events. It's like the perfect snack in between. And they're being sold at the airport. Now, yeah, they're at the airport. Amazing. They're at Target. They're everywhere. Yeah. So you can use code ALMOST30 um, if you want to buy them on their website. You get 15% off. So highly recommend trying the mint flavor and the peanut butter flavor to start. Yes, SkinnyDipped.com.
2: Okay, today's episode is really unique, and we're so grateful that one of our listeners reached out to us, and she wants to remain anonymous, and we respect that wholeheartedly. She works in the LA foster care system, and she reached reached out a few months ago wanting to educate us, not us in particular, just the masses on this system and she we actually caught her at a time when she had been with a child who was a witness or was was testifying in a trial and it was just a really emotionally draining and this is her work this is her work every day and and she was uh, gracious enough and brave enough to really come and talk about this system in a very um you know honest way but also giving us hope in ways that we could help and educate ourselves to hopefully incite change in this in this system.
1: Yeah, so Lindsay and I on an episode had mentioned that we would love to educate ourselves more on the foster care system whether it was in LA or other and when she reached out we just knew it would be a great opportunity to share the stories of some of the children that are in the foster care system to talk about the Different things that they go through that parents that are adopting go through. It is, this is a heart wrenching one. This is a really beautiful, uh, deep and insightful one. I love episodes like these because I had no idea what goes on. And I really just want to be as educated as possible in all aspects of my life. So by listening to this podcast episode, you are learning about the foster care system, which if you are adopting or if you're not, is important for our lives as citizens of communities. Uh, A lot of people that you may know are part of the foster care system or are adopting or work with it. So I think this episode is really important important as a holistic point to understanding the world we live in today. So thank you so much to our listener
2: who, again, is remaining anonymous, but this episode is one that you cannot miss. So if it resonates with you, if you... or you feel like anyone should learn more about the foster care system, please share it with them. Uh, Share on Instagram, tag us. We always love to see that. We read and see every one of them. And if you're called to, please rate and review on iTunes. It helps us so much. So yeah, we love that. And please visit almost30podcast.com. We have our tour dates live. Our ambassador program is live. All things Almost 30 on almost30podcast.com. Newly rebranded. We're super proud of it. So thank you for visiting
1: the website. Yeah, we'll see you on the flip. Okay, LA friends. Are you guys about getting that money, honey? (laughs) Cha-ching! There's an amazing experiential pop-up that is happening in Los Angeles starting on April 17th through May 19th. And it's all about getting that money, honey. It is 11,000 square feet of interactive rooms like debt boxing, a retirement rodeo, stack salon, gold bar, and money moves room. So basically, there are going to be tons of amazing Instagrammable opportunities and chances to connect with other badass women at this baller pop-up happening in L.A so good you can reflect you can relax you can grow you can learn you can connect i'm pumped i know same we're going i want to take a i want to take a picture of me taking a shower with but dollar bills raining on my head Oh, okay. It's like a vision board. I will take that picture for you. I know. I'm gonna have, <laughs> I need it. Uh,
2: if you'd like to go to Stacks House in LA, uh, tickets are available at StacksHouse.com and you can use the code ALMOST30 and receive a special close the cap 21% off tickets through May 1st. So that's Stacks, S-T-A-C-K-S, house.com. Use the code ALMOST30 for 21% off tickets.
1: Welcome to the pod, Lisa. <laughs> yeah, we're so happy you're here. So guys, this is very, very special to Lindsay and I. When we had an episode you know, a while back, we were talking about a few things that we wanted to learn more about. One of them being the foster care system. Uh, this is something that I have very little knowledge of. I have very little exposure to I've only heard people talk about adoption in passing as, you know, something that they'd seek to do. And one of our dear listeners who works in the LA County foster system offered to join us on the podcast and talk about the process, talk about the legal system, talk about adoption in general, and talk about her role in this and really what goes on behind the scenes so that we can be have a better understanding of of what's going on, and be more compassionate. Be take more action. Uh, there's just so much we can do. So we are so honored to have you here today. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Oh, you're welcome. So I'd love to. You know, we were just talking before the podcast about where did you just come from? That this morning or yesterday? Um, two two days ago. Okay, and you went to was it court
0: or? Yeah, I was at a court hearing, a criminal court case with a very young client under the age of ten. And I've been preparing my client for about two to three months uh, for this criminal hearing. And she did have to testify against her perpetrator in court. You know, she really prepared her testimony about the sexual abuse that she encountered with him, how this trauma has impacted her day in and day out. So it was really my role to be there as her support in that trial. Um, I was there on the witness stand with her. And we actually had a therapy dog, which was so Girl. beautiful and so healing. But just imagine sitting 10 feet from your perpetrator who you haven't seen for three years since the abuse and telling your story to strangers in a courtroom. It, it was the most emotionally draining few days of my life, I would say, but really inspiring. I think she did an incredible job. And to just see her push through that challenge, um, inspired me because I I feel like she truly couldn't have done that without me.
2: Mm. Our children, do the, do the the child, do they have the choice to be in court? Like, are their parents giving the permission? Like, how does that work? Because I can imagine that just being in court itself is traumatic.
0: Yeah. You know, a lot of our children go through dependency court and that's a very different situation where that's more about the foster system and either reunifying with their biological families or foster families or adoptive families. But this was different. This was criminal court. And I've actually fought with this district attorney for the past three months for her to not testify. I came up with hundreds of ideas from a video Skype in my office three hours away to putting up a barrier in front of the perpetrator to having her do it in the courtroom next door. So she just does not have to see the perpetrator. So, We came up with many ideas among many plea bargains bargains as well with this perpetrator. And the perpetrator and his attorney um, refused all of these. I think they were really, unfortunately, banking on this young child's messing up, if you will. But she did amazing. We haven't gotten to the sentencing yet. But um, we're all very hopeful that he can get the charges that he deserves just because you know, if he's out there, we don't know what else he's doing to other other people.
1: Wow. So, and I'm crying right now. So the DA, this is what's frustrating is like, so why does the perpetrator have the choice to like have her come in court or not? Well, like...
0: It's his attorney and our attorney yeah. who've actually been bickering for three years now. I mean, I my client, I said, is under 10, but this abuse happened three years ago. and. <gasps> I think what's even more heartbreaking is she's she hasn't really been able to heal from her trauma because she's been waiting three years for this trial. So you know they've just really gone back and forth the past three years, and I feel like as hard as this was, like a weight has been lifted off this girl's shoulder. Mm. And the day after, she turned to me and she's like, "I'm ready," and I think she's just ready to move on finally and like start her healing process. A fucking ten year old.
2: So this happened in the foster care system. Or no?
0: You know, every client's different. I, I don't want to get into each yeah. specific client's yeah, yeah. story, but um, yes, there's hundreds and thousands of abuse stories within the foster care system. Mm. You know, this was a different situation where she was living with biological mom and, and it was a family friend, mm. unfortunately. So, you know, every every traumatic experience comes from a different place. It's always someone they know. Yeah. And
1: so and I'm just confused too of why children aren't protected in court why someone under the age of 15 whatever it is 12 wouldn't be protected to not have to testify in person it just doesn't seem right and because it's already putting it it's already putting up the the understanding that she might be lying and she might not know mm-hmm. it's like oh you know you might not be completely telling the truth so we need to get you in person it's that we don't believe you thing it's that I don't believe you the justice system doesn't believe you I mean it's it's crazy that's crazy to me
0: yeah I, I mean I agree it's horrifying
1: and so what did you so how did you stand strong like what's your move because I'm crying so it's like what yeah. do you do like in that position do you cry do you hold, like how do you stand strong like how do you manage yourself i cried a lot the nights prior because i didn't know what to
0: expect i was walking into kind of the unknown and my sole job in that in that situation was to support my client and so i was honest with her i was like look girl tomorrow's going to be stressful I'm scared. I don't know what to expect. And we're going to get through this together. And so number one, I was honest with her about my own feelings, which I think role models for her. It's totally okay to be stressed and have all these feelings come up. In the courtroom, unfortunately, I I couldn't really show emotion because I was, again, on the witness stand with her. And the jury would maybe think I was trying to tell her something. Um, so the minute we all walked out of the courtroom, I... I took a moment in the office by myself um, and I just kind of let it all out. And then I've thankfully taken the past three days off work and just kind of done my own thing for myself, whether that's exercise, talking, writing um, about this experience. So, you know, I, out of all of these hardships, I try to find the beauty in it and I know this this girl could not have done it without me. And I, and I pride myself Mm -hmm. in what I did for her. Hell yeah.
2: It takes a special type of person to do this work. You know, not everyone can do this. So what, what drew you to this type of work and what about the way that, you know, you grew up kind of set you up to be a facilitator in this way?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. You're right. I think it does take a special person. I've always prided myself in my ability to build relationships with people. And I feel like this field and what I do really comes down to relationships and connection. You know, looking back middle school, high school, college, I feel like there was a lot of people who would approach me with their challenges and just need support from me. And I at that period of my life, I didn't really know what that meant. You know, for example, my junior year of high school, I was matched with an incoming freshman to help her out. Um, and one of the first few days she approached me. She thought she was pregnant. She wanted me to take her to Planned Parenthood. I literally had known her maybe two days, but I had just got my license. I ditched school. I took her in my car, which was illegal at that time. And I drove her to Planned Parenthood and I spent the day with her. And I just felt like she was approaching me for whatever reason. She saw something in me. You know, I I chose to do that. And I think moving forward um, in my life, I've just kind of always had those experiences where people would seek support from me. And I was happy to give it i always knew i wanted to be in the helping profession and i've i definitely explored other realms i wanted to be a physical therapist at one point i'm i'm an athlete and i've gone through a lot of injuries and that was something important to me um so i just knew i always wanted to be with other people not sitting at a desk job nine to five and just always interacting
1: with humans what happened to the girl? Just to close the loop there, or what? Like, so you took a moment after, kind of re- recuperated. You took some, took some days off. Where does she go, and what what happens to her after this? So, where I work is actually a group home.
0: All of the children that I work with um, have been removed from their homes, and they live with us twenty four seven. And so, she's back in the group home where she lives with us. Um, we have staff twenty four seven there, and I've set up a specific staff member to support her every night at bedtime for the next week. And really, it's just about me checking in with her now in our therapy sessions and starting that healing process with her. But, you know, she does have the support. Um, unfortunately, it's not family right now, given her situation, but it is adults she trusts that she's been living with for eight, eight months or so. mm
1: and in the so that is something i'd heard about in the foster care system you know every city that it ha- it ha- it happens in almost every city so what is it about the foster care system that's riddled with abuse or why do you think it's so prevalent
0: yeah i wish i had answers i think a lot of it comes down to education for example la county i i think has the worst foster care system. I think it's truly a, trauma is a public health epidemic and people don't know about that. So I think a lot of it comes down to education. You look at Los Angeles County, for example, and when people think of LA, what do they think about? Hollywood, film industry, movie stars, celebrities, and there's a whole other side to this. This city that people just don't know about and and that's in every city, that's especially big cities, New York, San Francisco. Um, So education, um, getting the word out, um, letting people know that there is suffering, but there's also ways to move past that and again, like I said at the beginning, I think that comes down to connection and relationship with people and whether it's working with a child with severe trauma or just hanging out with a friend or passing someone on the road in the car like build a relationship with them like be be kind mm-hmm. <laughs> um Try to build a relationship with people.
1: Yeah, I guess I think I meant what is like the systemic reason that abuse is prevalent in foster care? Is it the socioeconomic situation that a lot of people are brought in? Is it drugs? Is it location? Like, what is it about the foster care system that kind of has that happening more prevalently?
0: Okay. You know, I I definitely think it comes down to money, unfortunately. Um, very underprivileged families. A lot of foster families, unfortunately, want to foster children for money, not for the relationship. You get money when a child comes into your home. And unfortunately, there's different, um, I guess, ratings or numbers of how much money you get based on how severe the child's behaviors are.
2: Do they regulate how they use that money? Absolutely. So they monitor what they use it. For. I know it's supposed to be for the child, but if if you're saying that they foster because of the money, are they using maybe like two hundred dollars of that for their own, and then they give the rest of the kid, or does the foster system regulate how they use the money?
0: They try. Mm-hmm. Um, the social workers, the county social workers on each case, definitely try. But um, you know, it, it really should be going to rent to money, to food and to clothing for the child. Mm. Um, And some families will have five, six foster kids in their home. And all of those kids have been removed from their original homes with due to severe neglect abuse. And uh, who knows what's happening in those foster homes when all these young kids are sharing bedrooms together. And, you know, there's one or two parents for six kids so and then the cycle just continues how,
2: what's the ratio just to give our listeners an idea of like the ratio between social workers and kids in the system because it seems like it's overburdened so like and why they're unable to i mean I'm sure they're trying the best that they can, but just unable to monitor as closely as they would want
0: yeah, I don't know the exact number, but i've I've had county social workers I work with who have up to eighty or ninety kids on their caseload. Whoa. Um, and they have to visit each of those kids once a month. But those visits are usually three minutes. Are you breathing? Let me check in on you. Okay, you're good. I got to go to the next kid. And I guess that leads into why I chose to be take more of the clinical route. Like I really wanted to do the one-on-one therapy. I didn't want to do the the county work, for example. I wanted to do the hard <laughs> clinical work in the office one-on-one with the child. And I spent hours and hours with them and their families
1: I was thinking about the money thing with the families and then you mentioned something about the ratings too. So does that mean that someone say they were, you know, they had severe developmental disabilities and then they also had, um, quote, quotes, behavioral issues, they would have a higher rating and therefore the family that takes them would get more money.
0: Correct. So some kids you can take in and it will be around six to $800 dollars um, the kids that I personally work with are in the highest level of care, literally under prison, essentially. And some of my kids' families will get over $2,000 a month. And if you think about it, you take in two to three of those kids, that's $4,000. What kind of? 100%. Wow. You know, where does that money go?
2: Wow. What is the like the like the vetting process for these foster parents? You know, like, is it? One, there's a vetting process. And then second part of the question is like, what is the education for them or the resources for them while they are fostering these kids? So it's not just like, okay, yeah, you're good to go. And then they just like Like The Butt Kisses. What movie was that?
1: The Butt butt Kisses, where they got all the adopted kids just for the money.
2: Oh, that's fucked up. Yeah. I'll show you. Yeah. I don't
0: know. I mean, there's definitely a lot of training. Okay. So... Especially when you take in these higher level children who need a higher level of care, there's lots and lots of training. Understanding trauma, understanding parenting skills, understanding the best school programs for them. I mean, there really is a lot of training, and they have to pass those trainings and get certifications. There's drug and alcohol abuse trainings. And then they do have the county social worker that checks in with them that really. Can communicate with them at any time for support, and then there's a whole team of clinical support when the child goes into the home. So myself as a therapist, and there's a behavioral support. There's what's called a facilitator who facilitates and organizes meetings, and which are really weekly. There's the school team because these kids mostly can't function in the public school system, and so they all have what's called IEPs or individualized education programs. Um, so there really is a lot of education and a big support system, there's just drastic numbers of foster youth and not enough families. Mm. I think there's 30,000 foster youth in LA right now.
1: Oh my Uh, God. You're doing a really great job, by the way. You're doing an amazing mm -hmm. job. So I hope you feel good. And I know it's hard sometimes to talk about this and it's very serious, but just know that you're doing a really great job. Thank you. Also, the Butt Kiss family, it takes two one of the Olsen daughters was with a family that was an adopt. They had called the butt kisses and they had mm. like 10 kids. Huh. Remember oh, them? And they yeah. got kids to get money.
2: <laughs> That's right. But they probably made a joke out of it.
1: Yeah, kind of. It kind actually of? wasn't, they were bad. Like it kind of, well, it was interesting because I thought that was the only, I knew that because of that, well, which is very weird. You well, know, I was like, I actually watched It takes Two, like,
2: Last night.
1: <laughs> like a year. Like a year. <laughs> a year. It but it brought so. that up. And I thought mm. that was like very interesting because she wanted to escape because of that. They made the kids work mm. on wow. the thing wow. at the junkyard, whatever. Yeah. Well, speaking of movies,
0: if people want to kind of get a sense of what I do, don't think this is completely accurate, but there is a movie called Short Term 12 on Netflix. Mm. Whenever I mention my, my job or role to some people, they always mention, oh, is it like Short Term 12? So again, it's not a completely accurate depiction, but it is about kids with trauma living in a group home facility. No. no, Okay, cool.
1: Okay, so how does a child get in the foster care system?
0: You know, it can happen at any age. And if there's any form of suspected abuse, neglect, um, physical abuse, Sexual abuse, any harm where a child or another person in the family is unsafe, and someone makes a report, then a county social worker will come out and will begin the investigation. So it's really based on mandated reporters making a report. Again, a mandated reporter is someone who suspects any form of abuse. So it doesn't mean you're going to go out and investigate, but if you have any sort of gut feeling, where there's suspected abuse, you're a teacher and the kids not showing up with um clothes or is wearing the same clothes every day to school or maybe ha- doesn't seem like he showered a few times or um maybe I'm a I'm a mandated reporter and maybe I'm just hanging out at the park with some friends and I see some form of physical abuse like I I do legally have to report that. So any form of suspected abuse gets reported to the DCFS, Department Children and Family Services hotline, and then a social worker will go out and investigate. If they feel it really is an unsafe situation, the child will be removed from the home or children, and so starts the cycle of who knows where they go. What care is taken, sorry,
2: just to continue, like what care is taken when they're kind of plucked from... I, I, from what they probably feel, it feels like what is happening. You know, yeah. I think
0: the they're going to get punished it, even more. Abuse is home to them. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And abuse is all they know. And that's really how they've learned to survive. Um, so, unfortunately, not enough. Like they really are picked up, plucked, and mm-hmm. placed somewhere else. And some of these kids know the system way too well. They know what to say to get hospitalized, they know what to say to move uh-huh. to a different home. And Unfortunately, there just isn't enough support.
1: Why would they want to get hospitalized?
0: There's many reasons, but for example, in my facility, the kids have very strict phone calls. Um, you know they can't receive a call from their dad who's in jail. they can't uh, make an outgoing call to an aunt because of specific, a specific reason but I've I've had clients who will want to go to the hospital because there's unregulated phone calls at any hour and they can just go and make the phone calls that they want. Mm. I've had clients in the past meet boyfriends and girlfriends in the hospital and they'll like write each other notes and make a plan to meet back in the hospital two weeks later. <laughs> Damn. Um, they're kids, you know? It's yeah. like, I was doing that
1: they're shit. They're some you know. of the... they kids, truly. exactly. And yeah. they're kids.
0: some of... I think they're truly some of the smartest people because of what they've gone through. Yeah, like, sure. They're so resilient mm-hmm. and they're so... Are just so smart, unfortunately, in different ways.
1: Mm. What are when we talked about the abuse, you know, you talked about some kids at school maybe coming to school and they haven't showered or um, you know, all these different things, I guess. Um, could you share some more signs of abuse that people could look out for? Absolutely. You know, a lot of it can
0: come down to mood. So is a child's acting differently? Are they looking more sad? Are they sleeping during class? Are they more quiet? Are they interacting with friends? What are they doing on the weekends? So a lot of it, I think, is paying attention to people's mood and people's behaviors and people's symptoms is what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. And
2: what is, I'm thinking about like the teenagers in the system, so like not the the quote-unquote cute little kids that would families would want to, or I would think would want to take in. And the teens who perhaps are like, have been in the system for a long time, do have a little bit of a hard shell and an edge perhaps, but are, have gone through a lot in their life. Like what is, what is the support for them? And, and, and I guess, what is the percentage of them that are being taken into with foster families? And, where are they in group homes? Like, I can imagine they're in group homes a lot. So,
0: yeah, I think that's one of the biggest challenges right now is the ages, maybe 15 to 19, 20, um, because these kids may have been in the system since they were two, three, five, six. So they know it really well and they've, and they've just gone from placement to placement to placement. Um, there's a lot of programs nowadays, and I can only speak to LA County called TAY. PAY transitional age youth programs. And that really is to support those um, children, teens during that transitional period. Um, so there's independent living programs. If they can function at that level where, you know, maybe they'll get their rent paid for in an apartment that we find for them, but they have to work two days a week or something. Cause that's all they can do. And so there is a lot of programs for them that are really up and coming, but I think that is the hot topic right now because mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they will wind up on the streets.
1: What is um? So some kids are taken from abusive homes and brought into the foster care system. Are some taken from the hospital to an addict parent, or is it only from abusive homes? Like, where else could kids join the become part of the foster system?
0: Definitely, the hospital is an example where. They were hospitalized for, um, you know, maybe suicidal thoughts or behaviors um, running into the street. And they were hospitalized maybe for two weeks, but they were not able to return to their home. But they also don't need to be sitting in a hospital. So they're picked up by the county worker and brought to a foster home. You know, it it really can be any environment, Mm. unfortunately. Um, Foster home to foster home to foster home is where these kids go. Mm -hmm. Our newborn babies who aren't able
2: to stay with their biological parents are they taken to a family immediately, or what is that process
0: um you know i've never actually worked with infants, but i've had clients who have had siblings born and um, the mother was on drugs or did uh, drugs in utero and so the the baby was born in the hospital and and immediately brought to a new home wow. yeah there's actually a lot of volunteer programs in hospitals where babies Born addicted to drugs, um, you can go in and you hold literally them. just hold them and yeah. nurture them because part of that healing process is um, building that nurture and that connection with them that they're not going to get from their bio mother at that moment. Mm.
1: Wow, I loved what you said earlier about trauma. Like trauma is something that's like running rampant within our healthcare system within. Mm-hmm you know, the foster care system and it's really the world, you know, there's so much trauma. Like if you looked at it at a high level, the trauma is really creating these situations like the one you talked about earlier today, like the foster care system being so broken, like our political system being broken, you know, it kind of rules a lot. And um, from your perspective, you know, working with these people one-on-one, how do you identify their trauma and kind of like work with it.
0: Yeah. Trauma really is a public health epidemic right now. And just a side note, there's a fantastic Ted talk from um, someone named Nadine Burke, Mm -hmm. all about um, how trauma impacts you mentally and physically, obviously emotionally, but she talks a lot about signs of cancer, obesity and how trauma can really impact you day to day. But to go back to your question... Okay, so identifying a trauma within my clients. Again, I think it really comes down to their mood, their symptoms, and their behaviors. So I like to think of it as their symptoms or their adaptations. They're Whatever they're doing, they're doing for a reason. That's such yeah. a good one. Symptoms are um, their adaptations. Yeah, wow. they're, there's a reason to what they're doing. It's allowed them to survive. It's allowed them to get through what they've gotten through to be where they are today. You know, their symptoms can be from being aggressive, to AWOLing, to running into the street, to cutting, trying to harm themselves, trying to harm others. Their mood could be very withdrawn, being alone in their room, not going to school for many days. I I just really think it comes down to their symptoms are telling a story. Yeah. Wow.
1: The symptoms are the adaptations or their adaptations is like actually mind blowing to me because even outside, you know, so looking at the foster care system and the children within it and and what you were talking about specific to those situations, but also pulling it up to the macro and thinking about me Mm -hmm. or the next person, you know, say someone struggles with anxiety, like their body and their mind are adapting to the situations that they're putting themselves in. Say someone has, you know, a extra weight that they're holding on to their body is adapting to the situation that it, it's putting itself in. You know, it's always an adaptation. Their body, mind, spirit are adapting to these situations that our free will are putting ourselves in. Um, so, you know, these people in the foster care system are not putting themselves in these situations by any stretch. That's not at all the correlation I want to make. And I want to make that very clear. But what I'm saying is that, you know, for people that have free choice and maybe having anxiety, depression, weight gain, you know, unhappiness or whatever. It's like a lot, oftentimes these are the symptoms of what they're doing that's causing it.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's beautifully said. Thanks. And to piggyback
2: off of that, I'm wondering too, like, if if the children are adapting and thinking everything is, what they're experiencing is quote unquote normal, then when they do you know, integrate into a healthy family when the foster family is warm and loving and takes them in and is ready and willing to work with them and, and be the support they've always needed. What have you seen as kind of a reaction from the kids? Whether do they act out? Like what is kind of a, a, a typical scenario where you would have to, you know, counsel
0: them? Yeah, I mean, imagine just being picked up where you are and placed in a new home right now, whether or not you have severe trauma, severe mental illness. I would act out personally. That's frightening. So there are fantastic foster families that come across. There truly are. And no matter what, the kids will act out because they're not with their biological families and they're with a stranger. But I think it really is about building that connection over time. And it really comes down to trust. Um, If that foster family can build trust with the client, they will slowly start to understand that this is not an abusive home and this will be a loving, caring, nurturing, affectionate environment for me to be in. Um, But it takes a lot of time and, you know, where do we find time? It's hard, you know.
1: It's like Mm. the rewiring though too, you know, if they've been told that love is Letting this man touch you, Mm -hmm. or, you know, being hit or not being fed, wearing dirty clothes, you know, that kind of thing. So, how do you go about rewiring their brain to prepare them for the potential to have a family that loves them in a way that is healthy?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. There's actually more and more research nowadays where um, that's showing that the brain can be rewired over time. And personally, and what research is saying, a lot of it does come down to connection and role modeling and showing these kids that there isn't harm in these families and that there is love and that there is trust. I guess I'll go a little bit into the brain, if you don't mind, and I'm not a neuroscientist, Mm -hmm. so I will share a little bit about the work that I do. But essentially, when trauma occurs, the reptilian brain takes over and that reptilian part I think is the brain stem, which is the first developed part in the brain and that's when the fight, flight, or freeze response kicks in. So when there's a trauma, the clients I work with are constantly in fight, flight, or freeze mode. Trauma really impacts three parts of the brain. The first is the hippocampus, the second, the prefrontal cortex, and the third is the amygdala. And so quickly, the hippocampus is really responsible for memories. And so if you think about it, some of these clients may not be able to differentiate the difference between past and present memories. So when you're going into a new home, you can't differentiate, is this a new person? Is this, a, is this someone from my past? What's going to happen in this situation? Even though it is a completely different situation, the client with severe trauma is not going to be able to understand the difference. And the second part is the prefrontal cortex. And so this area controls the response to our emotions. Um, clients, will find, clients of trauma will find it much harder to contain themselves or to control their behaviors. And so that's when we start seeing those aggressive behaviors and the acting out behaviors. I like to think about it kind of on a scale of 0 to 10. Let's say I'm having a panic attack or I'm just having some anxiety right now and I'm at a, I'm at a 10 for myself. Okay, then I can tell myself what do I need to do to get back to a 1 or a 0 to really calm myself. Well, the clients I work with, I don't think they've ever been at a zero or one. I think they're constantly at a six or a seven. And so when working with them and trying to rewire their brain is, hey, let's get from just a 10 to a 9.5. Okay, great. It's been two hours, but we got from a 9.5 to a nine. And it's like slowly trying to get them back because their constant is not a zero. Their constant is a six or seven because they're always filled with toxic stress and think that there's threats and, there's, and, there's, mm. and they are hypervigilant. So that's the prefrontal cortex and then the third part of the brain that's impacted is, is the amygdala and the amygdala is um, the region of the brain where we process our emotions. So someone with a very overactive hypervigilant amygdala is, responsive, is responsible for the emotions that we generally think of PTSD. Um, those traumatic memories, those flashbacks, Mood changes, startle responses. So, they're trying to do everything that they can to avoid that. So, the good news is that research is showing these days is that this is reversible and we can help to rewire the brain. We can start helping them regulate new memories, which is the hippocampus. You know, we can be that person to show them um, new memories can be created and we can help them like I was saying, on the scale of zero to 10, revert back to just being at their constant six or seven using grounding techniques, mindfulness, meditation. Um, so if they're starting to learn these new tools and building connections with new trusting adults, I, we really feel like they can. their brains can be rewired. But again, this takes years and years and years. I would say the clients who are 10 that I work with even though I'm a very small part of their life right now, they may not heal until mm-hmm. 30 years from now. But, you know, it starts now. Why not be that person in their life now? What type of
2: therapy are you doing with them to create these new
0: memories and new neural
2: pathways? Is it, is it EMDR or?
0: Um, I'm personally not EMDR certified, but okay. EMDR is fantastic. Yeah. Um, if you've heard of it. But what I do a lot is cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. um, Which is really helping the client connect their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors and changing those negative thoughts. I also do a lot of play therapy with the kids because I work with very young ones. I do a lot of art therapy. And that really just allows me to see what's going on in their stories and in their heads and because a lot of them just can't verbalize it. I mean, the simple like... I feel stressed. I feel frustrated, they cannot say. Um, but they can act it out with me or they can draw it. And so I do a lot of art and play as well. Uh,
1: yeah, I think that's a really important thing that you know, I don't think we talk about enough is like providing children with a vocabulary to express themselves, you know, to say how they're feeling, to talk about you know who they are. And I never you know, was really given that opportunity or encouraged to do that. I don't remember being given like any words to express my emotions or anything like that. And, you know, for lack of n- not understanding and not knowing that importance, really. But I think that's really powerful. And I could definitely see, you know, that being the case. When we're talking about the ways that they outlash, I guess, or like the act ways out. that act out. Yeah, the ways that they act out. What are some What are some examples of ways that they tend to act out?
0: Wow. Well, I, wrote, I work with very challenging kids, but I I would just talk a lot about their severe aggression, hitting, kicking, spitting, biting, severe verbal aggression, um, running away, running into the street, climbing, trying to jump off the roof, cutting, trying to find sharp objects to cut with. Mm. There is a lot of sexual acting out behaviors, taking off their clothes. I mean, it really appears and is psychotic. They're completely out of control. And... And again, I, I just feel like this field comes down to connection because when someone's in that space, as much as you say, hey, calm down, hey, let's get from a 10 to a 9, they're absolutely not hearing you. And so saying something, and this works with anyone, this is really scary or this is really stressful or you look stressed and just kind of going back to identifying their feelings because they don't even know what's going on in their body at that moment.
2: Yeah, I guess that's like with the trauma, how I don't know if it's the science behind it or just what's happening when you store trauma in your body and it comes out or you, it just stays in there as as energy and and shows up or manifests itself physically. Do you like how can we explain that?
0: I mean, I think you did explain it as people they will just hold it in cuz they don't know who to talk to, they don't know how to talk. They um you know, maybe we'll act out in ways that were done to them. So maybe they'll start touching other people because that's all they know. Mm. Um, wow. You know, they will act out physically because it's just kind of like they're holding it in and they'll let it explode. And, and I think of myself 10 years ago, I when I had my first panic attack, like I didn't know what that was. But, it, I, you know, I lived in a very loving, nurturing environment. Um, I couldn't name it, though. And, and it took me years to realize, oh, that was a panic attack.
1: Hmm. What is, so the, is, is everything with the foster care system government funded? Do people, do you guys apply for grants or how is everything funded?
0: Um, I, I can only speak to LA County, mm-hmm. but it really is the Department of Mental Health and Department Children Family Services as well as grants.
1: Hmm. And then, so you guys have a grant writer that applies and everything yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about, to like the differences, if you know, between U.S. adoption of children and international, because, I, you know, if someone was looking to adopt, what would they, what should they be looking for? What does it mean to adopt internationally? Are those children in similar circumstances or like, how do we, because our cultures are so different. So like someone that's in Africa, that's living, you know, with a tribe in a hut, could seem like it's in poverty, but for that tribe, it's normal. So I just wonder, like, how does someone get determined to be up for adoption from an international basis by an American family?
0: So personally, I don't have experience working um, internationally. But my understanding here in the U.S. is it, it's really connecting yourself with an adoption agency. A lot of adoption families, um, at least that I work with, will want to foster adopt first. So that's the processes you fast adopt, they call it. Um, you're fostering the child, trying to get a sense of if you really want to fully adopt them. But a, a lot of it also comes down to age. So you get connected to the adoption agency. And if you want to adopt someone from birth, then maybe you're already connected with the pregnant um, mother. And you're working with her through the pregnancy. And you, and you adopt them at, the, at birth right then and there. Or maybe you want to adopt a 15 year old. Um, and you're connected through the agency, and there's adoption events that I take my children to around l a county. Um, hundreds of parents come, um, mm. you know, from single mom to two dads to two moms to mom and dad, um, just to get to know these kids and you know, the first one I went to, I felt like I was at like a, a dog adoption True. Um, was say, it was like, it was a very strange strange experience. Um, but I tell my children like you This is your choice. Like, you don't have to choose this family if they choose you. This is 100% your choice. Who do you feel comfortable with? So, unfortunately, I can't speak internationally. um, But, you know, there's challenging situations all over the world and poverty all over the world and trauma all over the world. And so, you know, I would just say get connected to an adoption agency wherever you are and decide if you want to look for a child um, in a different country or here in the U.S.
1: How do we know how do we know if it's legit? because I don't trust anyone, so I'm like, how would we know that that adoption agency is like a legit? How is there like certifications or
0: yeah, there's a lot of trainings, a lot of certifications. The parents have to go through a lot of trainings. Okay. Um, um, you mentioned foster adopt
2: uh, i I read that it's n- nothing is certain about that process in the sense that family members who maybe once, not the ones giving up the child, but like a grandmother who was like, yeah, no, no, it's fine. Like put her in the foster care system. If she changes her mind, she can come back and say, okay, fine. I want her. And so, you know, for these foster families, one, I can just imagine that like the emotional roller coaster in that way is really trying. Is there any support for them? And then also like, what are, because I, the foster care system, the goal is to get these kids back with their biological parents or families. But what if they're not like up to standard or par in terms of the court system and what they think and are are judges making the right calls? Like what is kind of the, the state of that now?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a really crazy system. For me and where I work, we do our best to keep the clients with biological family only if the biological family is safe and can keep the child safe. Um, Because really, these children only want to be with their mom, their dad, and who gave birth to them. So the court system is crazy if the parent, you know, lost their child at birth because of drugs or something. I've seen plenty of situations where the mother has been able to go to rehab, been able to get sober is doing very well, has done family therapy with the child and the child was able to to reunify with them. And so I I have seen those situations and they definitely happen, but it takes a lot of work from the parents. Um, And you asked about support for parents. We have what's called parent partners. And so those are um, parents who maybe have been in and out of the system themselves, have their own children, have challenging children, either with disabilities, trauma, whatever it is, but they work um, along with the therapist and the parent to be connected to the parent and provide a support for the parent and a voice, an advocate for the parent in mm-hmm. court. Um, so that's the support that that some parents can receive. But again, it's their motivation. Do they want their child back? Um, yeah, there's plenty of situations where a child will be placed in a foster home and, and a biological aunt is found or a biological grandmother, great-grandmother is found and the court and the social worker will Investigate if that's a a viable option for the child, just because learning what I've learned over the past few years, some of my clients are most successful when they're with biological family. Okay. I didn't know if the foster families were like fighting to keep the child if they really. It definitely can happen. I, you know, I've heard crazy stories on either end where a child has done really well for five years with the foster family and they're about to sign the adoption papers, and then a biological grandmother shows up. Um, and that's really when I, I as the therapist would advocate, write letters to the judge, write letters to the social worker. The social worker would advocate, and then you would ask the child, "Where do you want to be?" Um, you know, there's horror stories and, and amazing, beautiful stories on either end.
1: The judge thing is kind of weird. Like it just doesn't.
0: I don't know. It's like it doesn't. I don't know. It's
2: just kind of odd. He's not very. Cl- he or she is not yeah. very. I guess they read the
0: case, but it's not like they are in the homes and in that way. I've had situations where I've written um, letters to the judge advocating for what I feel my client needs. And personally, in the work I do, I think I'm I'm there 24-7 with the kid day in and day out, and I feel I know what's best for them. And I've had judges respond to me saying that was the most beautiful letter. I'm Aww. going with what the therapist says. I'm not going with what the mom says because the mom hasn't seen their daughter in five mm. years. Wow. Okay. And so, I, you know, I feel like I'm giving a voice to my clients who are voiceless sometimes and advocating for what they need. Wow. Do you live at the home? I personally don't. Okay. We No staff actually do, okay. but we just have staff 24-7. Okay. There's cottages, we call them, where the kids live. We have about 50 kids there ages 5 to 18, multiple therapists, uh, rehabilitation staff, facilitators, parent partners. um, And and then when a client moves from our group home into the community, into a foster home or bio home, a new team will come in with a new therapist and a new behavior support. and, And
1: that's how the process works what is the process for getting into the foster care system for you when you're like working for this job? Did you get licensed and then you were like, okay, I'm going to do this. And is there background checks for therapist? Like, I'm sure it's funny because, or this is, I guess, the point I'm trying to make. So oftentimes I wonder if the, what it takes to adopt a child is as difficult as it is for you to get a job when you know, you're just really looking to help or like, what's the process like for you to get a job?
0: Um, it was very challenging. For Once I graduated, I got my master's in social work. Um, took me about six or seven months to find a job. Um, once I got my initial job, I was working with similar kids, um, but in the community. So I was driving from home to home to home. I put over 20,000 miles on my car in LA County in two wow. years, not even two years. Um, so I was driving home to home. I was in really rough neighborhoods. Um... South Central LA and did you ever feel scared I was scared every day did Um, you ever
2: have like like a personnel with you to make sure sometimes
0: I would have a team member with me if we were doing like a family meeting but if I was just doing individual therapy with the kid which was every day I was going oh wow in really tough neighborhoods by myself um what that job taught me more than anything was I needed to take care of myself in the job that I do and in my career and in my profession um, because I can't provide to the kids if I'm not taking care of myself. And honestly, I got out of that job for safety reasons. I just didn't feel safe driving around South Central. Um, you know, I'm a five foot tall white girl and I was the only white girl in blocks and blocks. So, but that job also gave me this whole insight to LA County and the foster care system. And I'm so grateful for it as well. And I really learned what I need, what I needed to learn to be where I am today. And so when you get a master's of social work, um, you have your MSW. And if you want to work towards the clinical hours, you would become a licensed clinical social worker. So I had to earn over 3000 hours of therapy, um, which I did the past few years and applied to take, um, exams, a California Law and Ethics exam, and then the LCSW exam, which took months of studying. Um, It is a really challenging exam, um, but I took it and now I'm licensed. And so being licensed allows me to open a private practice, for example. It allows me to be a supervisor of therapists. Um, So there's kind of more opportunities I can have as I grow my career.
1: Amazing.
0: How do you take care of yourself? Great question. I think it was very tough at the beginning i was i felt like i was working 24/7 with these kids because i was receiving calls at 10 p.m. about a suicidal client um and i felt like i had to do everything i could to make sure that client did not commit suicide so it was really challenging for me to figure out my boundaries um but for me i would say exercise has always been my number one in a Soccer in college. I'm a huge athlete, and that just releases all of my tension. Going on a run, going on a walk. Um, The past few years, I was able to get certified in Pilates, so I am a Pilates instructor on the side, and that's just helped me balance out my body emotionally and physically. Exercise is huge. Um, And then when I'm when I'm off work, I've just learned like, don't answer your phone, don't answer email, because the children are with people who can keep them safe. And so I've, you know, putting my phone on airplane mode, putting my phone in the other room. Um, I took email off my phone, for example. Um, and when I'm off work, when I'm with friends or family, making sure my conversations are not about work. And that's really tough. But when I, I love my coworkers, but when I go out with them, it's like, we're not talking about work right now. Um, so I, it took me years to figure out those boundaries.
1: Mm. Good for you. What are some sweet stories? Mm-hmm. Do you have any sweet little angels at your house that do sweet Absolutely. things? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean,
0: honestly, I love these kids. I I'm sure they're I cry fine. happiness <laughs> I about them every day. Oh. They're truly inspiring. You know, we had a little boy who lived at the group home, unfortunately, for five years. A lot of laws in California have changed the past few years where you really can't be there more than 12 months. So this is a different situation. The kid was five, there for five years, five to 10. And uh, he was probably one of the most challenging kids the group home has ever seen. And two fathers um, outside of LA were interested. They found him at an adoption event. Um, and we started doing overnights at the house. Um, he was able to meet uh, other two other kids that these two men adopted. And part of my gut was like, is this kid going to make it? Are these dads going to give up? This is a really challenging kid. I don't even think I could take this kid home myself. Um, but I actually just found out a few months ago, the dads finally officially signed the adoption papers. Oh, um, wow. And so, and I've seen the kids since, um, just because it is a small world in LA. And and these two dads are Just doing on the street? Yeah, <laughs> at an event. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, at an event, I saw the two of them. So- I mean, it it happens, and it's so beautiful. I've seen a little girl and her mother, her mom, really worked through rehab, got sober for over three years. They did a lot of family therapy, and the girl was able to go back to the mom, and the mom and her are doing extraordinary.
1: How are the kids to one another? Oh, it's... (laughs) You know, it's like typical
0: kids. Like, imagine being in a middle school classroom, and there's bickering, there's bullying, there's arguing, there's having fun, there's playing on the playground, there's swimming. So it's a whole roller coaster ride with these kids. I mean, they're living with nine, ten other kids in the cottage with severe mental illness. So there's going to be challenges, and there's going to be physical fights and brawls and verbal aggression towards each other. Um, but oftentimes they'll say, "Hey, can we get adopted together? Can you only find a mom oh. for me that wants to take oh. both of us?" Um, so, I mean, it really goes in waves. Mm-hmm. What do they say? What do you say to that? Mm-hmm. Um, I say, you know, everyone here has a different story, and let's focus on you and your story right now. And I'm working with this client and her story, and we'll see where it takes you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think with What I say to them, I have to be very careful because I don't want to give them false hope. I don't want to say, sure, let's go find a mom who will adopt both of you because I've never been able to find that. So I don't want to give them false hope. I want to be honest. I want to be open with them um, and just upfront with them. How can we help? Like, how can we kind of be... question. So there's a beautiful quote that I always refer to, which is, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. And you know you and me sitting here, I don't know much of your story. You don't know much of mine. Walking on the street, driving in a car, you don't know someone's story. If they're honking at you, if they pull you, if if they cut in front of you, um, if you're standing in a grocery store and someone's cursing and impatient, you just don't know what they've gone through. So um, day-to-day, I would say... Be kind to one another because you don't know what everyone else is going through. In terms of the foster care system, you know, there's little things I've tried to come up with. Um, for example, these foster kids go from home to home using um, garbage bags. So, donate some suitcases. Oh, mm, these kids really great. need suitcases. Wow. Um, and when you go from a home to home with a garbage mm-hmm. bag, that's not a good sign. There's a fantastic uh, volunteer program called CASA, which is Court Appointed Special Advocate. It is a very intensive volunteer position, but I think is one of the few that can really make a difference in this world for the kids. Um, They're a voice for the kids. They talk to the judge. They write court reports. They build a relationship with the kids. What I love most about it is, so you're matched with one kid in the foster system And no matter what placement they go to, you follow them. So, you know, they're changing therapists all the time. They're changing social workers. They're changing parents. Um, But the CASA will remain that one stagnant person for them and can be their voice for their needs. So that's a fantastic program if you want to look into that. Do you guys need clothes
1: or like products or Mm -hmm. anything like that at the house?
0: Yeah, I mean, you can always donate. I, I donate to domestic violence shelters instead of Goodwill, for example. Yeah. Donating to group homes, donating Christmas gifts. These, ki- these kids don't know what Christmas is.
2: Mm.
1: So but if we wanted honestly, to donate to your foster home, how would we do that? I would go
0: to the Department of Children Family Services website yeah. of whatever county you live in and call or try to find donation services through that got four bags of clothes in my car. (laughs) And honestly, I think some of it just comes down to donating time. Mm, So um, finding programs where you can get connected, kind of like Big Brothers Big Sisters are a program that my agency, we have something called a special friend program. So where you're just being matched with someone with a challenge. Um, You know, yes, these kids need clothes. Yes, they need Christmas presents, but they also need a human being that they can trust and that they can be connected to. And so... If anything, I've learned it comes down to donating some time once a month and and connecting with someone. Yeah. Wow.
2: Thanks for the work you do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll say it again. It does take a very special person. And I'm so happy that you're taking care of yourself as you take care of others um, and that the kids have someone like you as an advocate for them, as a voice for them, um, as they just learn to use their own voices.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you. So, 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 so lovely. I'm so proud to share this conversation with our community and to know you and to figure out ways, you know, to do more in the future. Thank you so much. It was lovely sharing my
0: story and the children's stories. Wow. All right, guys. We'll talk to you next time. Love you.
1: Love you. Thank you so much to our listener. Thank you guys for joining us in on this conversation. I know sometimes it's not always easy. You know, you guys are dealing with a lot in your day-to-day life and sometimes listening in on conversations that aren't super hopeful or positive um, isn't what you want to do. But I think it's really important that we really dig in. We really dig into the conversations that aren't always easy, that don't always have pretty bow tied up at the end with an answer and a solution and understanding and educating yourself is of the utmost importance. So thank you for joining us in on this conversation and sharing with your friends who you think would be interested. And just asking questions too.
2: You know, we've been learning that as we've, you know, dived more deeply into topics and things that are hard, what we feel are hard to talk about, but asking questions, being curious about the issue or topic at hand is healthy and it really incites an open, honest conversation with the people on the other end. So we just encourage you to do that. So thank you. Thank you. And
1: thank you to everyone writing reviews. We read every one of them. Review of the week. Review of the week. So good. Five stars. Love Lindsay and Christo's perspective, guests, and questions. This is such a good podcast. This is from Alice Alice. M from UK. And, you know, Lindsay and I do this content for you weekly. We provide, you know, one hour, two hours of content to you free. And if this has at all made an impact on your life, it would mean so much to Lindsay and I if you push pause right now went over to iTunes, gave us a five-star review, wrote something small, wrote something long uh, to just really encourage us to keep the show going. Your reviews mean so much to our guests, to our content, to the growth of almost 30. And really it just keeps us going. Mm -hmm.
2: Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you on the road this year. 2019 tour is live on our website. We love you so much. See you soon.